Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Hi, and welcome to another episode of On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak. With me is Porak Vice President Damon Kurtz. Today, we're in fabulous Las Vegas with actress, author, activist, director, and producer, Tracy Milkier. Tracy, who's married to a peace officer, has been working on a behind-the-scenes documentary about law enforcement titled Monochrome. Well, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, I guess we should uh, start off a little bit with your acting career. Uh, you've been in Young and the Restless, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and Sunset Beach. What got you into acting? Um, I wasn't very smart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, what got me into, you know, it started with like seventh grade. We moved and there were no elective course classes that had any room. And we moved mid-semester and they were like, the only thing we have is drama. And they threw me in there at a new school in seventh grade. And I thought the Lord hated my guts. And um, here I am all these years later, I made a career out of it. It turned into the best thing. I just fell in love with acting and just haven't looked back. I just love the, the genre. Very nice. And we should go and talk a little bit about your father, who was a peace officer in Florida. So you grew up a little bit in Miami, then moved to Sanford. And yeah, my dad was a police officer in Miami. And then he, um, my parents got divorced and my mom moved us to Colorado. My dad followed for a little bit and then he went back to Florida and um, took a job at Sanford. Yeah. So he was a police officer growing up. So I always joke that I had the privilege growing, you know, my whole life where when things would happen with law enforcement, most people people were just besides themselves about it. I always had someone that I could elbow and say, what the heck, you know, and get the other side of the story. So from Colorado, did you go to New York to start acting or did you come to LA and then that's sort of how you... Yeah, I had a sister that lived out here and a friend and I had a fight with a boyfriend one morning and I woke by the afternoon I was driving to California. I was a little <laughs> impulsive. Yes. <laughs> and um, I drove out here and just started beating the pavement, auditioning and stuff. And I just realized after, you know, it, sometimes you need that little push to get out because I was kind of stuck in Colorado wanting to be an actor and that was just the catalyst that got me out here and kind of threw me in the pool. And then I had no choice. I had to make it happen. And then now, obviously, your your husband's a peace officer. How did you guys meet? And then did that inspire you to then become actively involved in public safety related uh, charity events and being pro-police, I guess, in a sense? Yeah, I was always pro-police. And, you know, a lot of it was because of, you know, my dad. But then Rob and I met at a country western bar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and, you know, I can take the girl out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the girl. So I ended up going to country bars when I was here in California. I met him and, you know, and he said he was a police officer and I was like, check, <laughs> you know, hoping in his favor. Um, so I used to joke that he was like all the village people in one because he was a cop and a cowboy, you know, he got a lot of, <laughs> he got some grief about that at work. Um, when I said that in interviews and magazines and stuff, but, um, yeah, so that was just a positive for me. I found a lot of comfort and security and that he was a police officer when he had a, a steady job when I had one that wasn't. And just knowing just the honor and the integrity, I'd gone to some counseling prior because, you know, we actors were a little bit crazy sometimes. But um, I'd gone to some counseling and I remember telling him the kind of guy I wanted. 
I said, you know, I've messed up so many times in the past with relationships. And, and he's like, well, what kind of guy are you looking for? Let's, you know, and I was like, honor, integrity and all these things. And he was like, yeah, that kind of guy would never date you. (laughs) I was like, he goes, we have work to do. So I had to step up my game and everything. But I remember shortly after we were dating, um, and Rob was on the SWAT team and LAPD and they have their, he had one of their t-shirts on and it was like honor, duty, valor, think that's all of it. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, there it is, like right on his, you know, like here's your sign kind of thing. It was just kind of an affirmation, like, wow, okay, this is maybe the right guy. And then obviously as your, uh, your relationship builds, you become active in some of the When it comes to like uh, being a peace officer, a lot of associations have charity funds. They work very hard to uh, to take care of spouses, uh, fallen officers. I don't want to say it's a calling. I just think it's when you when you pin the badge on, uh, you become part of a family. Uh, Being part of that family is making sure that one of your family members uh, is killed in the line of duty, that their extended family are taken care of. Is that how you got involved with some of the charity work that you had done in law enforcement? Um, well, the first thing that happened was I was on a soap opera called Sunset Beach. It was on NBC, and um, I'm not sure if they're publicists or how, but we got married during that time. And, you know, then when I were on the soaps, all the soap magazines, they follow all that. And so whoever got wind of that I was a soap actress married to a police officer, I'm not sure. But the American Police Hall of Fame and Museum had sent me a letter and asked if I would be on their celebrity advisory board. So they were the first ones to reach out to me. And that was about supporting families that had lost somebody in the line of duty. And it was shocking to me when I, because they would send me a report, you know, who was killed, had their picture in the story and who was left behind. And it really did start that, like you said, it's something that comes from within where it's like you start getting a, a heart for it. And so I started getting involved with that. And then there was an issue at LAPD where they wanted the first female SWAT officer to come on. And this was right after Randy Simmons, the first SWAT officer, was killed in um, on duty. And I had organized all the wives to get together because, you know, there's only 60 guys on the SWAT team. And I didn't know all the wives. And the wife who had lost her husband, I didn't know her. I knew the other wife of... Um, Jimmy Veenstra, who was shot, but I didn't know Randy Simmons' wife. And I said, we should all know each other. There's just 60 of us. And like, I'm an activist, a crusader. That's my thing. I organized a lunch with all of us at the academy and had a behavior specialist come in because that was a very difficult experience. When you wake up to the news that two SWAT officers were shot, one was killed, and they're not releasing names, and you can't reach your husband. It's like scary. I wasn't breathing. I could not breathe. And I, I knew when I heard from him that I got that first breath of relief. My second breath was guilt that I knew that there was a wife that wasn't getting that relief. And so I wanted to do something. And so I organized this lunch. And during this lunch, one of the wives had mentioned that they're talking about lowering the standard for SWAT so that a female could get on. And it just wasn't the right time. You know, it was like, that was like the scariest thing they could do for all of us who realized that what they're not invincible. We thought these guys were. So I sort of went to bat for the wives that were like, hey, can we, you know, we're all for women getting on. I mean, we're women. (laughs) We're all for it, but we're not for lowering the standard because we want to know our husbands when they go in a situation, they have somebody who met this standard. And so I did not get a lot of love from Chief Bratton for that. Um, (laughs) I think he actually quoted Michael Corleone at one point in our... (laughs) It was pretty scary. But the union had asked if I would 
you know, continue advocating for, you know, keeping the standards. And so I went on Good Morning America um, for them. So that, you know, it's just, just stuff just kind of happened naturally. And I, I really think that when things are brought to you and, you know, you just sort of go with it and it just has kind of fallen into my lap and I've, you know, picked it up every time because I believe in it. And then this is my, I guess my third that bat thing that I'm doing now. Well, it's important work and, you know, having that support system is important for the, the families, right? Having somebody speak up for them, not only for the officers that they may be married to or have family members with, but also for them and the, what they have to go through. You know, there's that old saying that um, something to the effect that, you know, the officers wear the badge, but the family carries the weight. And so... That's important. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, you know, some of the wives at this lunch were officers themselves and they're like, we can't say anything. Exactly. That's the and hard you part. Be our voice. You know, we're uh, in a position often that we can't say those things that we want to say. And uh, yes. so when our spouses go off and say, well, it's like, well, you know, you know, I, I well, and a lot of guys <laughs> don't want spouses like me. Um, because they don't want to get the repercussions right. of it. And, and there have been some. There have been times. Um, well, kudos to your husband for sticking with you. I know, right? 21 years. <laughs> well, I guess that leads to, obviously, the the national dialogue uh, on policing in America. Um, you know, everybody's hating on us. Um, and that sort of brings you to the documentary that you're creating now uh, called Monochrome. What gave you the idea to want to create this documentary? And then um, where are you now on it? So on social media, I have a lot of people from the entertainment industry. And then I have a lot of, you know, police officer friends and um I think it was around two, like during the, like Michael Brown, the Trayvon, all of that, those type of incidences, there would be people that would post things. And a couple times, and I, I try not to be provocative, but there were a couple times where what they were posting was not true, or it was like something from three years ago and they're just stirring the pot. And I was like, hey, just so you know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, but this was settled. That officer was fired. You know, that person was paid out. And oh my gosh, I would get attacked. I would get blocked by casting directors. You know, I even got one um, online Hollywood magazine that threatened to call my agent and, you know, threatened me on Twitter and all of these things. And, you know, I've gotten a lot of backlash for just, and honestly, just trying to just very simply saying, hey, just so you know, that's, or, you know, nothing attacking. And that's really kind of my approach. But so that started getting me frustrated, right? But then what really was the catalyst where I was like, you know, kind of like when I was forced to move to California because I had a fight with a boyfriend. The, the Dallas ambush was, we were on getting ready to go on a cruise at the, when that happened. And I was beside myself. I could not believe that officers were protecting people that were rallying and marching against them. Even when gunshots started happening towards them, they still ran and were willing to die to protect the very people who were hating them. And to me, that was just like, that was as much as I could take. And I was like, I have to do something. I have to do something. I was just was like freaking out. Like, what do I do? What do I do? How do I fix this? And, um, you know, one of the things for me is I'm also a Christian and I, I prayed about it a lot. And I just, it just came to me that Jesus used parables 
You know, it's when you argue statistics with people, when you argue facts, people just want to argue with that stuff. They just want to say, yeah, but right. Or if you, whatever source it is, they're going to discredit the source. You know, there's a famous saying, and I can't remember who said it, but people don't want to know the truth. They want to know what makes what they believe true and everything else is discounted. So I said, I can't do it with, you know, all the FBI statistics. I can't do it. You know, like what else can I do? And, and I know a lot of other documentaries have done where they interview police officers and they talk about how hard the job is. And I thought about that and I'm like, okay, well that's one, it's been done, you know, and that's great for people who like police and maybe they like them more after that. But I think someone who does not like police, which we were seeing, not only people who didn't, I used to think there were people who support the police and those who don't. And it's that, it's so much more vast than that, you know, where it's like people legitimately hate the police. And that was something I did not realize. But what I I decided was, you know, I can't sit there and interview how hard the job is because people who hate the police, they not only do they not care, they're glad that it's hard. They don't care that a police officer was killed. They actually think that's a good thing because they think that police are the enemy. And that is their perspective and that is their belief. So that won't be effective. So I just remembered, I'm like, I'm an actor. I'm a storyteller. I've written a book. I, why not use what I've learned in the entertainment industry and my industry to help my husband and father's industry and use storytelling And because there's something magic about film, people are willing to go to a theater before COVID. (laughs) You could walk into a dark theater, you will sit next to a stranger and you will let yourself be led down a road and accept things. You will suspend your beliefs in reality and let, you know, the movie take you where it goes. And so I decided to do story. And all of a sudden I just kept thinking of all of these anecdotal stories I could use to just challenge people's perspective. I think that's great. And, you know, I think some of the best commentary that I've read in regards to uh, people that have written about your what you're trying to do is, is you know, healing the divide between the police and the community, um, I think is probably the, the big key words there. And I think you're right um, in a lot of areas in a sense that people have their opinions and they watch the news that supports their opinions versus challenging what their thoughts are. And I think um, with what you're trying to create, or at least based on what I've spoken to you about personally is, is that, you know, you're trying to challenge people's beliefs. Um, You know, these people that hate us and for what we do, uh, trying to challenge their belief in that. Why is that the case? Um, I think, you know, you talk to your husband, Damon and myself, you know, we all feel it's a very noble profession. Um, you know, you see a few incidents nationally. Um, those are carried for weeks on end. So the image that people get when they continually see the narrative in the news is that this happens all the time, and it doesn't. And I know your husband could probably tell you thousands of stories where he's de-escalated incidents, didn't have to use any type of, uh, you know, violence or force. I can have the same amount. Damon has the same amount. Um, It happens all the time. But the news is not going to carry that. If it bleeds, it leads. Exactly. With a documentary like this, I think we need to see more of these. And this is my, and I talk to the reporters all the time and I always tell them, it's like, you never run stories. You never run positives. It's a 30 second blip on the radar. Um, I just read two stories about two officers in two different states that ran into fully engulfed homes and rescued people. 
and that's not even mainstream media. That those are police articles that I'm reading off of police uh, websites. You know, but you think if that would be national news every day, 60 minutes of news coverage would be the great work that police officers do around the United States. But it goes to a greater issue, I think, when it comes to how the narrative is being driven. And I'm looking forward to to seeing a finished product in regards to monochrome and, and challenging those people. Where do you go from here? I mean, how far, how much left do you have to film on the documentary? Is your Kickstarter campaign still going? No, not Kickstarter. I have another one. I have a fiscal sponsor now, so it's a platform through them so people can get a tax write-off for anything that's donated, which is a nice advantage. I like to be able to offer that. Um, But yeah, as far as what you're talking about with the media, and that is one part of it. And I think another part is police doing good things and all the noble things that they do. Um, Also, it's victims of the crime. You know, we always forget the victim. And, you know, one of the other things that I like people to understand is this isn't just because I'm married to a cop and because I grew up um, a police officer's daughter. I actually was the victim of a violent crime myself and police saved my life. And I also watch a lot of investigation discovery shows where people have the same sort of situations where it's like, we're forgetting about the victims that are begging for a cop to, you know, scale that wall, to push that limit, to to do the things that have to be done to save victims, you know? And so for me, it's not just, this isn't a a commercial about why you should like law enforcement because of all the good things they do, and they do. This is about why we need them. As an actor, one of the first things we do when we study our characters, we have to know what their super objective is, right? Like, what does your character ultimately want? What are they, what's their driving force? What gets them up in the morning, right? And that shapes every scene you do with that character because that is, we spend our life trying to prove our point of view of the world and our objective to be true. So until we start at that very beginning of people, like where they developed this point of view, that's the lens they're seeing everything through when it comes to law enforcement. So when you show them that, you know, like the videos going into the fire, most people, their response is, well, that's their job. They volunteered for it. So that's what they're supposed to do, right? They just discount it. So we have to like get this back to like where the point of view and the lens they're seeing all of it through. We have to start further back. And that's why I'm really excited because I feel like this can be a different approach that has not been taken. So as far as like where I'm at in the process, I've pretty much shot everything. I have another thing I wanted to shoot, but the funds, I call fundraising the other F word, by the way, I don't like it. Um, But I pretty much have everything shot. We're working on editing. It's coming together really nicely. Um, It is really hard. You make you make a movie three times. You make it when you decide what to sh- shoot, when you write it. Then you make it when you're shooting it. And then you make it again when you're editing because it's incredible once you see what you have and put together. And then you're like, oh, we need this. And so we're still, you know, getting it right. I, I just, I, I want to have it right. You know, it's got to be right. I'm hoping in a month or two to have a rough draft done. And I've had a couple distributors reach out to me that want to see a rough draft when it's done and then go from there. And then if they want to come in and, you know, say, let's fix this or do that. And then I have just a little bit of narration of me to shoot of, you know, explaining what my thought process is. So it's coming along. Do you anticipate having a release in maybe mid 2021 then? 
You know, my dream has always been to release it during National Police Week. Ah, nice. I thought that would be perfect. I always hoped that it could be maybe shown during an event there or something. Um, But the goal, what I really want to do with it is this isn't just about an entertainment film or, you know, anything like that. It's, It's really supposed to be a tool. So what I would love is during National Police Week is that every chief across the country would be invited to participate. And what they would do is they would say, hey, you know, Anaheim PD wants to do participate. And then we say, okay, then we, I have a distributor find a theater because I want to do it on a neutral ground. I don't want to do it at a city building. It has to be neutral. And we show it. And it'll be about 40 minutes long. It's not that long. But what it will do is it will be like, I don't know, the cocktail party or the worship music, depending on, you know, how you want to see it. But it's, it's the thing that lightens the mood before a community meeting. So what the the department that wants to participate in it, we would rent out the theater. Hopefully the unions would help with that, right? And and then they would invite police officers from that neighborhood and invite the community in. They would watch this before. It would be the icebreaker. You know, and then we can have productive conversations because right now the conversations aren't productive. You know, when people are just yelling at each other, it's not productive. And they, everybody just walks away and they feel like, you know, they threw up on police and I showed them, but, but nothing's changing. And everybody keeps talking, we round, you know, we need to have these conversations, we need to have these conversations. But I've been watching for two years, I watched the San Francisco 49ers do that pledge that, and all that money, and I was begging to be a part of helping with that. And where did that money go? What was changed? Nothing changed. They have roundtable meetings with city leaders. And to me, you know what those roundtables represent? Just going in circles. It never leaves that room. Nothing changes. So for me, it's like if we can do this film, introduce it as, you know, an entry to a community meeting where it breaks the ice, then maybe we can have some real conversations where people are humbled a little bit because we're going to do some real tricky things with like cinematography and, you know, you know how like you see things from one side and then you see it from the other and it looks like two different things. So we're going to really just humble people and on both sides, you know, it's, it's not going to be just you're right, we're wrong, you know, that kind of thing. It's just about human beings and sometimes you're too close to something, sometimes you're too far to see it clearly, but that perfect focal point is right in the middle. And so just bringing that together for, for productive conversations. I think I should introduce you to uh, Sean Shepard. Um, he has a program called Game Changers. Mm. Uh, it's where he brings uh, community members with uh, peace officers. Um, they have one larger meeting, and then they do breakout sessions, and then they go watch sports together afterwards because what he has found is that uh, we all come together for sporting events and, and you said it best with movies obviously because of your profession um, but he's looking at it from uh, from sports where you have a broad and diverse group of people who are all cheering that team their home team and this is an opportunity for uh, you're breaking bread you're having very candid conversations about police community relations and then when it's all done and said you're all coming over as a group to watch watch sports. But, and I think this would be really good to maybe have your show presented before a game changer and then having some conversations about that. Yeah. And you know, what's ironic is that's the one thing I didn't shoot is I had a sports analogy that I didn't end up being able to do. But one of the things I was going to talk about was, you know, it used to be you, you know, we didn't have all the video review, 
right? And it's kind of like police. Now you guys have the video review after, just like with sports. In you know, in real time, a guy's trying to call strikes and outs or whatever, right? Strikes and balls. What's I don't. Okay, I'm not a sports person. All right, <laughs> but they. They're calling it in real time, 90 mile plus an hour ball, right? And they're calling it in real time. But then we're all sitting there at TV with the yellow square drawn going, that idiot, you know, right? And so I was going to do a little, I won't go into exactly how I was going to do it, but something of that analogy. Those are the kind of things where I'm like, come on, guys, think about it. You're taking out that human element, sort of like in the Sully movie, right? When the pilot had to land the plane and they had all these pilots do it on simulators, right? And they're like, well, they could do it. And he's like, they their life wasn't at stake in 200 people. It's totally different. It's amazing what you can do when you have all the information after the fact to say, hey, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. what I would have done. That's ironic that that's the one. What is, uh, do you have a website? Um, Facebook page. I have Facebook. All right. What is it? Uh, Monochrome-documentary. Monochrome-documentary. And um, are you still fundraising or is this fiscal... I am. That fiscal sponsor um, is a fundraising and it, the link is on that Facebook page. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again uh, for coming out. Um, I know we'd planned to do this earlier in the year, but uh, with COVID-19, it just sort of got moved out to here we are in uh, November. So that's all right. Yeah. Appreciate you uh, taking the time to, uh, to talk to Damon and myself. I want to thank you for joining us on this latest episode of On the Job with Porak with Tracy Melkier. We hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your ideas of upcoming episodes. Join us on all our social media platforms and be sure to tag us with your suggestions. Go to porak.org to learn more about California's largest law enforcement organization representing over 77,000 public safety members. Make sure to check out and share our monthly podcasts and past episodes on porak.org, iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever available. Lastly, we'd like to thank you, all our PORAC members and our nation's law enforcement. Be safe and have a great day. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 